Hey there, podcast listeners. Thanks so much for listening in. My name is Art Wright, and I'm the pastor of Williamsburg Baptist Church in historic Williamsburg, Virginia. This podcast is a special bonus podcast as a part of our ongoing speaker series. This past Saturday, August 27th of 2022, we hosted David Karens to uh, share with us about on the topic of gun violence and mass shootings. And we asked him to talk to us about the causes and systemic issues in place, and also to talk a little bit about what it looks like for us as individuals and also a church to help combat and put an end to the ongoing epidemic of gun violence. And so we were delighted to welcome him. David spent 31 years serving in the CIA as an officer in political analysis. In that capacity, he wrote for all levels of the U.S. government, uh, from policymakers and working level analysts all the way up to the president. Currently, he serves as a member of the Governor's Commission to investigate the mass shooting in Virginia Beach in 2019. He's the, number, he's the author of a number of books. Most relevant to this topic include A Question of Accountability, The Murder of Angela Dales, which examines the shooting at the Appalachian School of Law in Grundy, Virginia in 2002. Uh, and Angela Dales is the mother of Karen's oldest grandchild, and she was killed in the shooting. And so this is a, certainly a personal topic for David. David also wrote about the Virginia Tech rampage. Virginia, Virginia Tech, make sure it doesn't get out. We really are glad you're listening and hope this uh, is a helpful listen to you on this sobering uh, topic, but a necessary one as we navigate our current context and wonder what in the world it looks like for us as people of faith to do something about it. So God bless you. Thanks again for listening. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Reverend Wright. I, I greatly appreciate having this opportunity to talk to you about this very serious problem. Uh, I would tell you, uh, I'll, I'll get the one of the more tedious things out of the way first. I, I did bring my two books on school shootings. And I want to tell you that I take no money for any of the work that I do on behalf of shooting victims. Uh, I believe the minute that money enters into the equation, corruption enters into the equation, and I'm going to talk with you a little bit about that. But I do have uh, the latest edition, which came out on August 9th of the shooting at the Appalachian School of Law, where my daughter-in-law was murdered. It's called The Murder of Angela Dales, 21 years later. And this is the Virginia, Virginia Tech book, which is called Virginia Tech, make sure it doesn't get out. In this case, all of the proceeds go to a shelter for battered women, the Haven in Warsaw, Virginia. In this case, all of the proceeds go to the Michael Poley Jr. Scholarship Fund. It was Michael's father who asked me to write the book. I should tell you that I do not, when these tragedies occur, I do not pursue or contact anyone. I wait for them to contact me. I think for me to pick up the phone and call the victims and families is an invasion of their privacy. If they want someone to help them out, I'm here to do it. I've done it now for over 20 years. And indeed, my, my journey down this path began 
on January 16, 2002, when a disgruntled uh, student shot and killed three people at the Appalachian School of Law in Grundy, Virginia, and wounded three others. And that's what got me started in this, this direction. Uh, again, I would like to welcome you. Um, and uh, next slide, please. <laughs> One of the things, and I do have some handouts here, the Second Amendment. So so much confusion about what the Second Amendment is, what it says. This is what it says. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And I have a number of handouts for you, including the Second Amendment. Because many times I, I give talks, and quite honestly, and it happened yesterday, I, I at, uh, almost happened, I should say, Lynn was there, a couple of ladies came up, and uh, they try to bait me. And, and I won't let them. They ask me, what do you think about the Second Amendment? And I say, I support it. What do you think about gun control? I don't want to control anybody's guns. I'm going to get into what I do want. Because what people lose sight of is that sensible gun laws are not inconsistent with the Second Amendment. This is completely lost because our society is so polarized and everyone goes to the emotional extremes of what the solution should be. It is a the, the epidemic of gun violence in this, this country. Dealing with it is a, a multifaceted problem. And I'm going to touch a little bit, bit on that. Um, well, let me just say one other thing before we go on to the next slide, and that is I will welcome questions, but I would ask you to hold them until the end of the presentation. I'm happy to stay as long as anybody wants to ask questions. I'll stay and answer them to the best of my ability. So next slide. The epidemic of gun violence. More than 110 Americans are killed by guns and another two wounded every single day. And I put the sources on, on all of these statistics. So, and I will be posting uh, the, all of the, the PowerPoint slides and all of the handouts that I have, they will be posted on my uh, website this week. So if you're interested, you can go and download those. If you don't uh, have a chance to pick up the, the handouts and you can certainly download the PowerPoint slides as well. Next slide, please. Virginia. More than 1,000 Virginians died of gun violence in the Old Dominion in the year of 2019 alone, an average of three Virginians a day. Homicides made up 33% of the total number of gun deaths. Next slide. The crisis that we face in gun violence is a male-dominated crisis. 98% of the shooters are males. I half-jokingly, but I want to say very seriously, it is a case of testosterone gone wrong. 
because almost all of the, all of, in fact, I just, I brought this with me because I was just given this by a friend, a psychologist on, it's called sexually frustrated mass shooters. And I knew about some of these, but I did not know the extent to which the research is showing that these males have problems with females. So if you are looking for a pattern, if you are, are looking for recognizable indications of, of possible male mass shooters, this is one place to start. And unfortunately, the males that need to hear it are not here today. The males that are here today are open to listening to what the problem is. And again, I, I tell when I've given some presentations, I say, um, gentlemen, your masculinity is not measured by the size of your weapon. It is measured by the size of your backbone to stand up and take a stand against the slaughter that is happening in this country. Look at the statistics, male shooters between 1982 and 2022. 127 were males, three were females. That's an alarming statistic. And then two, there was both a male and female shooter involved. As I said, this is clearly a male crisis. Patterns. <laughs> As I said, these shooters have problems with women. In the case of the Appalachian School of Law, where we lost our daughter, I'm sorry, I meant to say next slide, patterns, did you? <laughs> Are we up? Okay, I'm sorry. I, I'm used to having a clicker and I, I have a tendency to get ahead of myself here, so I, I, I'm sorry, Artem. Um, the case of the Appalachian School of Law. Peter Odigwazua, the, the man who was the killer, was a wife beater. He was a law student who flunked out. And in one of the classes, he pushed the professor off the podium and be launched into an anti-female tirade. In the case of Virginia Tech, Cho stalked young women. He left notes on their doors. The stalking was so bad that the, uh, uh, the, one of the young ladies took the evidence of this to her father. And the father called the Blacksburg and Virginia uh, Tech police. They, they picked Cho up. He was evaluated by a Virginia Tech psychologist and deemed to be a threat to himself and others. He was actually taken to a mental institution. But when he got in the mental institution, it was late at night, he was given a sedative, went to bed next morning, uh, got up, got cleaned up, 
was, was given some breakfast and went to appear before a psychiatrist. The psychologist at the, at the institution did not fully read all of the papers that were submitted with him, and the psychiatrist never looked at any of them. The psychiatrist deemed that he was free to go back on the campus, providing he voluntarily got psychological counseling. When you have a man that is mentally ill, do you really think, and he's violent, that he's going voluntarily to seek counseling? He was allowed back on the campus. The tragedy of these, these shootings is, and I have not looked at all of them, in part from my mental health, it is extremely difficult for me. And in fact, my wife, when the shooting took place at Virginia Tech, I was home recovering from surgery and I was sitting in the family room and she came in and she said, don't you dare write a book on Virginia Tech. I saw what happened to your health over, over the Angie book. That book, well, that book, that was my daughter-in-law. I had to keep a basket beside my desk because I threw up writing the book. She said, I saw what happened to you. Do not do it. Let me ask you this. Father calls you, who's lost his son, and he said, I want, to, I want you to help what would you do? I wrote the book. When <clears throat> Virginia Beach occurred, I'm, I am a writer. I've written nine books. <clears throat> I teach intelligence and crime analysis. I'm now moving into creative nonfiction and I have written a, my <clears throat> first volume of my three-part memoir. And um, I was a, a member of Hampton Roads Writers, which is one of the largest writers associations here on the East Coast based in Virginia Beach in Norfolk. And I got a call from the head of Hampton Roads Writers after the shooting. And she said, we have a member of our organization who, who worked in the building where all of those 12 people were killed. He is suffering from PTSD severe PTSD, and he wants to know if there is a writer at Hampton Roads Writers who's addressed the subject, would you please talk with him? Well, of course I will. And I talked with him. <laughs> we have a different solution, but we are to this day very good friends. I think in many respects, we epitomize what the dialogue should be. He wants to arm everybody, I do not but we get along beautifully, we exchange ideas, we talk about it, we do exactly what you should do in a democracy. We do not scream at each other. We talk with each other and to each other. And my wife said, I knew it, it's gonna happen. <clears throat> and then 
he was a friend of, uh, I don't know whether you've probably seen the man on television, Jason Nixon. His wife was gunned down, leaving three little, three little girls. The youngest daughter was still nursing from her mother. And he's left with these three little girls. And he wanted my help. <clears throat> so I said, all right, Jason, because I'm not going to say no. And I said, let me do this. Let me send you copies of my books and let me send you my resume. And after you've read them and looked at them, then we'll talk about what we can do. <laughs> well, the next thing I heard from him was that he had gone to Delegate Converse Fowler in the Virginia House of Delegates and said, I want this man on the commission to investigate the May 31, 2019 shooting. So here I am. And my wife's finally given up. She knows I'm not going to say no. I, I simply can't. If I'm asked, if a parent asks me, I cannot say no. I'm going to talk about that commission <laughs> because I am very, very concerned about what is happening. And I am a minority of one. And I will not be part of a lie. And I will not be part of a cover-up. I can tell you that right now. These killers are loners. They're male loners. Their social life is very limited. They have a fascination with violence. And they also many times have a pattern of threats toward individuals. The Isle of Vista mass shooter in California he left a, a treatise in which he complained that he had never even kissed a girl. He'd never had sex with a girl. We know that, that he had, had approached several young ladies expressing an interest in them. And when they turned them down, if he had a drink, Coca-Cola in his hand, he just threw it on them. One, he pushed down a hill because she didn't want to talk to it. They're violent. That's all there is to it. Have you heard of the incels? The involuntary celibates? <laughs> These are men online who are still virgins. And they take out their frustration because apparently with a few times they have, you can imagine they don't have a lot of savvy and moxie. Uh, the few times they approach a young lady, uh, they get nowhere, can't even get a date. Well, of course they blame the young girls, but they have moved now onto additional targets and they have killed in the United States and in Canada, the incels. They are now killing young men because these nice looking, intelligent, handsome young men are taking the women that they deserve. So up until recently, the targets were only young women. 
Now in their sick, perverted frustrations, they're moving on to young men as well. This is a very serious mental illness problem. <clears throat> no long, uh, next slide, please. Mass shootings, we have so many in the United States that they're no longer a shocking crime. They don't even make the evening news crawl. How many of you are aware of that a week and a half ago outside of a, a nightclub in downtown Cincinnati? Nine people were shot. Never made the news. I'm originally from Ohio, so I look at Ohio newspapers. That's why I knew about it. Nine people. And it doesn't make the news. This is incredible. It's a lack of value of human life. To my knowledge, none of those people were killed. <laughs> As I said, next slide, no longer do uh, many of these, these shootings even hit the evening news call. Every now and then I will see a statistic on television. There have been so many mass shootings since the first of the year. I think, what? I don't ever recall hearing about them <laughs> because now it's so bad. What is a mass shooting? How do you define a mass shooting? Well, the FBI defines it as three people or more. So forget the ones, just two people, Jeff. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Good heavens, only two people that are gunned down. This is insidious because in that defining of a mass shooting, there is the implication that the individual who's shot, caught in a crossfire on the way to work, or is killed on an interstate highway, well, somehow their life wasn't as important as if you have 32 killed. And those 30, oh boy, that's important. Every single life is important. But that's where we are today. We're quantifying it. And in, in, in quantifying what's a mass shooting and what's not a mass shooting, there's an implication in terms of how we value life, which unfortunately is not very high, particularly after you get out of the womb. <laughs> um, next slides, please. Mass shootings and little or nothing have been done. Appalachian School of Law, Grundy, Virginia, three killed, three wounded. Virginia Tech, 32 killed, 17 wounded. Sandy Hook, 26 elementary school children and teachers gunned down in their school. Afro-American Church in Charleston, South Carolina, nine people killed after they invited the white supremacist killer in to join them in their prayer service. Orlando, the Orlando nightclub, 46 people killed, 59 wounded. 
Las Vegas concert, 60 killed, 411 wounded. And of course, most recently, the horrors of the Uvalde Elementary School in Texas, 21 people killed, little children and teachers, and 18 wounded. And we do nothing. We really do nothing. Where is the outrage? <laughs> you remember a few years ago, I don't know what your politics are, I should have warned you. I'm an equal opportunity offender. If you're Democrat, Republican, or Tea Party, at some point I may offend you because in my books and writing, I name politicians in Richmond who have undercut efforts to improve safety in this state. Because I think all of us, no matter what your politics are, you have to step outside and say there is something more important here than my allegiance to a political party. And if members of the political party that I belong to are participating in measures that undercut the safety of citizens, whether they're in schools or shopping malls or churches or wherever they are, I want nothing to do with them and I will call them out and I have. <laughs> As a matter of fact, this book on my, my daughter-in-law, there's a little bit of a history to it. <laughs> when it was first published, it was published by a firm called Publish America. They're no longer in business. I hope my book had nothing to do with that. <laughs> you never can tell. Um, but we were ready to go to print. I had the galley proofs and I got an email from them. And they had shown it to their lawyer. And in this book, I named members of the House of Delegates. I named the Attorney General of Virginia. I criticize the governor of Virginia. I, I, I don't care what party they belong to, what they're, if they have undercut safety and security, and I do it in the Virginia Tech book, I name them. Publish America came back to me and said, well, Mr. Karens, we cannot publish your book until you get written permission from every single name in the book to use that name <laughs> in the book. Well, I am sure the attorney general would be thrilled to give me permission to use his name or the governor, okay? Uh, so um, I had a, at that time, I had a different editor, absolutely wonderful woman. I've had so, ma so many people that have helped me along the way and stood by me. And she said, don't worry, Dave, this book's gone out. So in the meantime, I had had I had paid to have a lawyer go over this because everybody said you're going to get sued, and I said, well, if I am sued for either book, Virginia Tech or this one, given the subject matter, I'm going to be number one on the New York Times bestseller list. I will then take the proceeds from the sales to pay the lawyers to defend me. <laughs> so I say, let's publish. 
So I, I had paid a, 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 a lawyer to look at. And by the way, that's another interesting subject sometime I should talk with you about, and that is getting a Virginia lawyer to sue a Virginia law school. We got a lawyer in Baltimore. <laughs> and I will tell you, lawyers get a bad rap. And as far as I'm concerned, this guy in Baltimore walks in water. He's one of the most ethical men that I have ever, ever met. And he was even told by his friends, do not take the case because there was my Angie's parents sued the law school. Do not take that case because the Virginia Bar Association is going to call the Maryland Bar Association and say, don't you think it's time that you audit the Gershberg law firm and make life a little difficult for them? And he said, I don't care. I'm taking the case. We won. Because the evidence was just overpowering. Okay. Uh, but in every single case, well, I'm going to back up. That's, that's an overstatement. Sometimes I get on a roll and I overstate things. So let me just back up and say, that, that in the case of both, uh, both of the school shootings here in Virginia, there were lies and there were cover-ups. I'm not ready to say that about the commission that I'm on right now. I will tell you that I am very concerned about the commission and what I'm hearing on the commission. And I will also tell you that I will not be a party to a lie, period. <laughs> All right, next. next slide, please. Finally, in the wake of the Evaldi mass shooting, Congress began to take some small steps toward curbing the availability of guns. And here briefly are, are, is what they did. It's, it's just a small step forward. They've enhanced background checks for gun buyers under 21, requiring authorities have time to examine juvenile records for first-time buyers. Allocated millions of dollars for red flag laws allowing officials to confiscate guns from people who are deemed dangerous. Strengthen laws against straw purchases of guns and, for and gun trafficking. And a straw purchase is when you have someone else buy it for you. Say you're, you're a man who's, for some reason, committed a felony, whatever it is, and you can't buy a gun. You get your girlfriend to buy it. And the girlfriend is a straw purchaser. <laughs> They've allocated millions of dollars for mental health. And there are problems in that. Because in Virginia, in the state of Virginia, we have privatized the, the mental health system. And that has damaged the quality of care. Remember I said, I don't take any money because when you introduce money, there's a problem, there's usually corruption. So what happens in these mental health institutions? 
it's given to a private company. And the private company has a contract for X millions of dollars and they want profits. So we have um, 12 psychiatrists. We really don't need that. I think we only need two. We have 30 psychologists. We don't need that. Maybe we'll have 15. And you know these facilities that are around? Well, we'll, we'll economize and we'll cut it down and, and have just two or three facilities. And I know what we're going to do. We're going to hire very enthusiastic, well-meaning high school graduates that want to go into psychology, and we're going to give them an opportunity. They're going to come, and they're going to be the psychologists that work with these mentally ill people. And the profits just keep going up and up and up and up. I was invited to speak at Kane University in New Jersey. Absolutely wonderful woman up there, a professor. And uh, she is the one that invited me up. And she has a program at that university called Be the Difference. And she takes, I don't know whether she has a VW bus or whatever. Anyway, she takes children on, uh, children, the college students, and, and they go out on projects and do things. Well, I was speaking at Virginia Tech, <clears throat> much to the chagrin of some of this Virginia Tech administration, but <laughs> I was speaking there and she was in the audience and uh, she wanted to know if I would come up and talk at Kane University because she brought her students down. Uh, this was, was to commemorate, in part to commemorate the mass shooting and they had been on a field trip someplace and, and she made sure that they came to Virginia Tech for this conference. And I said, sure. And she did a fantastic job of publicizing. I was in an auditorium. The president of the university came and stayed the whole time. The place was packed. Teachers, professors brought their students at Kane Universities. One of the things that I said to the students was, I said, you are in a unique position. You see these troubled people in your dormitories or in your classrooms. You see them firsthand in ways that not even the faculty see them. You need to bring them to the attention of school administrators and health officials. You are not ratting on your buddy. You are saving people's lives. And after the talk, a young man came up to me and said, thank you so much for what you said. There's a young man in my dormitory that I'm actually afraid of. He is so bizarre. And I'm going from this lecture to, to the health counseling services to talk with them about this. Because he said, I didn't know what to do. What's an 18 or 19 year old really supposed to do? They have enough problems trying to do their, their work, trying to get ahead trying to pick a profession, trying to everything else. Now they have to take on the burden of diagnosing mental health on the part of their, their fellow students. But having said that, we do need them. We need people not to be afraid to speak out. One of the things on the Virginia Beach Commission that I'm on that just drove me crazy. 
one of the commission members started talking this way. Well, you know, the city of Virginia Beach couldn't have done this or couldn't have done that, even though there were warning signs about the killer, couldn't have done it because it would have violated his civil rights. I went into low earth orbit and said, what about the rights of the 12 dead people? What about the civil rights of the four people wounded? What about the civil rights of the families that have been destroyed? And you're telling me that the city couldn't do anything? You're making an excuse for them so there won't be litigation. That's part of the reason for my title, No Excuse for Being Silent. We all have to speak out. So let me just talk a, a little bit about um, my goals, because people will ask me, what are your goals? Okay, again, as I said, I don't want to control anybody's gun. I support the Second Amendment. This is what I want, the slide with my goals, okay? I seek sensible gun laws that will protect citizens everywhere as they go about their daily routines. Protecting our citizens and preserving the Second Amendment are not mutually exclusive. And I find it hard put, as many times as I have looked at those three lines of the Second Amendment, to find where it gives someone the right to take an AK-47 in and gun down school children. I, I'm missing something, obviously. I'm not, a I'm not a constitutional lawyer, so obviously I am missing something. But I don't see that right any place, anywhere in our Constitution. So I'm happy to play the Constitution and Founding Fathers game with anyone. I support legislation to keep guns out of the hands of people who are a threat. This is next slide, too. Uh, hands uh, uh, who are a threat to themselves or others. New York and Ohio may be examples to follow. I've talked at um, University of New York, I've given talks at the University of New York Oneonta and at Wright State University in uh, Dayton, Ohio. And uh, again, I don't charge for anything, but this is what I ask. I will come and talk to you, but I want to see the head of your security. I want to have time to privately talk with the head of campus security and I'll come and talk to you. <laughs> in the state of New York, you may not, students may not bring any type of gun, plastic, wooden, anything, onto a campus ground, period. If their theater, theatrical department is putting on a play that's a murder mystery and they have a wooden gun, that gun has to be taken to the office of security after rehearsal, and it is locked up. It's wooden. And the, the, the police chief said, because we mean business. We want to drive it home every way we can. A young man who was a hunter uh, was dating a, a, a girl, and um, I guess they had, they had spent the weekend together, and somehow he came back, dropped her off on campus, and his hunting rifle was in the back seat, and he had gone into her dormitory. Well, roving patrol saw the gun. He was taken to the police department. 
and thoroughly checked out. Why did he bring that rifle onto the campus of the State University of New York in Oneonta? I don't have a problem with that. Because how is the police to know that he's not some sort of mentally ill individual out for revenge against some student or faculty member? They don't. They have to check it out. In Ohio at Wright State University, I asked the chief of police, what do you do? <laughs> what do you do if someone comes and says, I am afraid for my safety because of student X, and here's why, and gives examples. He said, by law, I have to pick that student or individual up and take him or her to a mental health facility for evaluation. That person is not allowed back on the campus until the mental health facility certifies that the individual is not a threat to himself or others or herself or others. The interesting thing about Ohio is it's a very conservative Republican state and they adopt that kind of law. Why can't Virginia do it? Is Ohio any less of a democracy or democratic state? The people in Ohio have less rights than the people of Virginia? They do not. Number three, I support legislation to keep guns out of the hands of domestic and foreign terrorists. And I now put greater accent on domestic terrorists. <laughs> that, by the way, sometime, if you're looking for a speaker, get someone to come and talk about the domestic terrorist threat in this country. It is extremely serious, far more serious than most people want to believe. Number four, I support legislation to keep guns out of the hands of individuals who have been convicted of violent crimes, specifically crimes attempted or attempted crimes involving a firearm uh, I should, uh, of any kind. And I should say a weapon of any kind, including knives. Maybe it's just me, but I don't really consider those to be four radical goals. But I think they're an excellent place to start. And by my definition of civil rights, they do not infringe on anyone's civil rights. Now, um, next slide. Why is gun violence persisting? One word, profits. Big money, the NRA and the gun manufacturers. We have the best Senate and House that money will buy. Uh, we, can, we can be proud of that. <laughs> These people are, a lot of them are in the hands of the lobbyists. So it's profits. In fact, when Virginia Tech occurred, uh, what I did, um, I, there was an article in the Washington Post 
about a family in Northern Virginia, the Samaha family, and their, their beautiful daughter had been gunned down in the French class. And there was a big article on them. So I called the reporter and I said who I was and I told him what had happened. And I said, I've written a book. I said, I have a whole file cabinet full of research. Would you please get, I do not want to try and contact Mr. Samaha. Would you please tell him who I am and that all of this information that I have is his. Give him everything, help him any way I can. And within 24 hours, I had a phone call from Mr. Samaha. And within 72 hours, I was having a glass of wine in Northern Virginia with Mr. Samaha <laughs> and, and giving him this information and talking with him and telling him what to expect. And he later told me that he didn't believe what I told him. I said, just be ready. Virginia Tech is going to circle the wagons. You're, there's going to be lies. There's going to be deceit. There's going to be cover-ups. There's going to be everything else, just like there was at the law school. And I, we were both giving a talk not too long ago, and he was ahead of me. And, and he said, uh, Mr. Karens, Dave Karens is in the audience here. And I, how I met Dave, and he said, you know, I didn't believe him when he first told me. And he told me these things are going to happen. And that's exactly what happened to us. And I didn't believe him because my daughter had been killed. How would anybody ever, ever lie in connection with the death of my child? And they did. They did. Number two, why is the gun violence, the violence persisting? Because no person, business, school, or government agency is held accountable. No one is held accountable. If you want to know what's going to prevent gun violence, one, take the profit out of it. Two, trust me. A $50 million gross negligence settlement in a lawsuit against the city of Virginia Beach would most definitely get people's attention. And from then on, cities and schools and businesses would make sure that their security plans are up to date, would make sure that employees are trained in active shooter drills, would make sure that physical security is tight, would make sure that HR people are well-trained to recognize the warning signs of unstable people, people under stress. But until that happens, there very, there's very little hope of anything being done to prevent these shootings. Number three, why is gun violence persisting? Number three, cover-ups. The Appalachian School of Law, three people killed, three wounded. This is a law school training young people to go before the state bar and practice law. And what they did? After the shooting, 
school administrators went into the administrative office and told a student working there to destroy all the files and records that the school had on the killer, just in case there's a lawsuit. This is a law school training lawyers. Okay? Well, we have a student who was very literal. So he pulled all the files and made Xerox copies. And he gave those Xerox copies to us. So you remember I told you we had the school nailed? Yeah, here are the documents. We've got everything. We've got the complaints about him. We've got everything that went on. And furthermore, three weeks before the shooting, the female faculty members in a staff meeting asked the school president for campus security because there was none. And do you know what that school president said? Oh, you women and your hormones, nothing will happen. Three weeks later, within three weeks, three people dead, three people wounded. That man was never held accountable, never asked to explain. He went, continued on in his very nice, cushy salary job as the president of the Appalachian School of Law. No one is held accountable. That is a major, major problem. Virginia Tech, 32 killed, at least 17 wounded. You had five or six English professors go to the head of the English department and demand the removal of Cho from the class. We had one professor, tenured professor, who said, I will resign my tenured position unless you remove him from my class because I am afraid for my safety and afraid for the safety of the students. And the school said, we didn't know he was a threat. I told you early, school psychologist diagnosed him as a threat to himself as others. And the school said, we didn't know he was a threat. Cover up. Time and time and time again. Virginia Beach, the mission that I'm working on. Just by coincidence, darn it, all of the computers in that building were removed and destroyed, and all employees got new computers. My heavens, what? Oh, geez. We needed those because we needed to track the records of the killer. <gasps> well, that was a scheduled replacement of computers. It's, it's happening in front of our eyes all the time, and people say, Why isn't something done? You should be asking. Why aren't people held accountable? Let me tell you something else about the mayor of Virginia Beach. Remember I told you I named names. I don't know his name. I don't want to know his name. Jason Nixon is left with three little girls. His wife was the primary breadwinner. 
Had she lived and gone into to retirement when it was time to retire, all of her insurance and all of her benefits would have passed over to the family. But because she was gunned down, the city took away the insurance, the health insurance. And do you know what the mayor's reaction was? Because Jason went in to talk with him. Well, if we were to give you the health insurance under these circumstances, it would set a bad precedent. What set a bad precedent was 12 people killed and four people wounded. That's the precedent. This is the world we live in, in Virginia. And when the next major shooting comes, people are going to say, oh, how could that happen? It's very clear to me how it's happened. And it's very clear to me that there are going to be more mass shootings in the state of Virginia. I believe that all three of the mass shootings that have occurred here in Virginia were inevitable because, this is a slide, because of negligence and poor leadership on the part of people in positions of trust and authority. It is always the human factor. And those human beings are never, ever held accountable. I assure you, one of those or two of them held accountable and managers and supervisors everywhere would take notice. The money would be spent on security, would be spent on training. And don't say that, tell me that you can't identify, if you're not a psychologist, you can't identify the warning signs. I was a manager at CIA three times. Well, let me back up. I was a manager at CIA and I had to take a two-day training course. It's mandatory before you can become a manager at the CIA. In that training course is how do you identify and handle troubled employees? What steps do you take? What should you be looking for? That was part of our training, two days. Happened to me three times. One man was suicidal. We got him the help that we needed. And I'm happy to say that he continued on and has had a great career at the CIA. But he was, his girlfriend came to me and said he is suicidal because of what's happening. And I knew exactly where to go. I knew exactly what to do. And we got him the help. I had another one who indicated who was was uh, being beaten by her husband. <laughs> you don't have to, to be Albert Einstein to know every Monday morning when a woman comes in with a black eye. There's just so many times you can trip and fall into the refrigerator. Okay, so that one was an easy one, but I knew how to take care of it, and I knew how to, I knew where to go. And I'm not a psychologist. I knew what to do. Is two days worth of training too much to ask of any government agency or private business to help prevent a mass shooting? I don't think so. 
Next slide. Virginia is one of the hardest, if not the most hardest states in the union to hold any business, school, or government agency accountable. Rests on the, the legal principles of accountability and foreseeability. Is it foreseeable? And where the problem comes in is in the Virginia Supreme Court. So I told you, I don't make a lot of friends. <laughs> I, it's been suggested that whenever I go out to eat in Richmond or Blacksburg, that I have a food taster and a remote starter on my car. Uh, but uh, you may be aware that there was a lawsuit in the case of Virginia Beach. I mean, I mean, in Virginia Tech, the Pride and Peterson family sued. And the judges ruled that they had a case and it went forward to a jury trial. And the jury held the school accountable for negligence. And each parent, there are four parents, mother, father, mother, father, each parent got a million dollars. Now, under the, the laws of the state of Virginia, we have sovereign immunity. So the amount had to be reduced to 100,000, 100,000, 100,000. And there's another story on that. I hope I remember to tell it to you uh, that just irritates the heck out of me. At any rate, so the state of Virginia, including the attorney general, appealed the decision to the Virginia Supreme Court. And I thought, well, this time, the Supreme Court is going to rule on behalf of the plaintiffs because the evidence, and I've, I've got it in the book, I've got, 20 some pages of evidence in the Virginia Tech book about it. And I remember the morning that they announced that the Virginia Supreme Court had unanimously thrown out the jury verdict. So I got a copy of the decision. I immediately uh, got a copy from the Supreme Court. Critical question, one of the critical questions is this. If you remember, at Virginia Tech, there was a double homicide at 7.20 in the morning. Two students were killed in a dormitory. Bloody footprints leading out the door, spent cartridges on the floor, but no weapon. So whoever was walking away still had the weapon in the middle of the campus. The school did not warn. Now, the school previously had warned because there was campus-wide warning because there's mold in the building. But they didn't warn when there's a killer in the building. I have a problem with that. Okay? The question then became, two and a half hours later, uh, 30 people are gunned down in their classrooms and another 17 wounded. What were you doing, Virginia Tech, in two and a half hours? <laughs> so the Supreme Court ruled that um, the Blacksburg police chief was in charge of the investigation. That's what they wrote. I said, no, that is, I've, I have it all docked. I have everything. It, it was the Virginia Tech 
police chief who had the authority to warn the campus and didn't do it. So I wrote the Blacksburg police chief and I said, I've just read this. Did you have, were you in charge of that case? And by return mail, I got an email from her and she said, there is a legal agreement between the town of Blacksburg and the university. In the case of an emergency, the requesting police department retains control of the investigation. The Virginia Tech Police Department requested our assistance. Chief Flincham was in charge, not me. So I thought, I do not want to accuse the Virginia Supreme Court of lying. But under the laws, when the Supreme Court reviews something, they may only look at the court transcripts. So <laughs> I called their bluff. I bought and paid for five documents, court transcripts, and spent a summer reading those. Talk about having to drink a lot of coffee. Seven times in the transcripts, both Chief Flincham and the Blacksburg police chief testified that Chief Flincham was in charge. So the Virginia Supreme Court is party to a lie. I will not accuse them of lying. I will not accuse them of introducing phony evidence, but apparently when they all went for their coffee break, some phantom came in and sat down and wrote that. And then they didn't proofread it after it was done. That's my only excuse. Frankly, it's politicization of our court systems because the Virginia Supreme Court believes that there are no circumstances under which someone else can ever be responsible for someone's actions. And I think that's generally true. But let me tell you what the New York State Supreme Court says. The New York State Supreme Court says, under almost all circumstances, no one can be held responsible for someone else's actions. But there are instances where the warning signs are so glaring that violence is inevitable. You are not able to predict when or where it will occur. But your failure to alert people to these warning signs makes you account, you should be held accountable. And given all the documentation that I, that I have on that trial, it is without a doubt ironclad that the warning signs were there and Virginia Tech ignored them. And the Supreme Court just introduced something really neat that rewrites history and gets the school off the hook. And that's the Virginia we live in. I ran this by four lawyers. And they said, you're right. But don't quote me. Because if you quote me by name, my career as a lawyer in this state is over. And there is no appeal to a Supreme Court decision. I wrote every one of the justices and called this to their attention, thinking that they might pull the decision back and correct it. 
Because you see, when you walk on water, it's terribly difficult to admit that you might have made an error. But that's what we face in the state of Virginia. And there's no nice way to say it. The Virginia, hang on here just a second. Let me get the next slide. I want to move on. <clears throat> now, some of the people have said, particularly, I want to move on to the, the Virginia Beach Commission. Why do we need a Virginia Beach Commission? We had a report done by Hilliard Heinz on Virginia Beach. We also had a report that was written on, on Virginia Tech by TriData. Well, this is why you need a Virginia Beach Commission. TriData and Hilliard Heinz rely on contracts from private business, security contracts from private business and government agencies for their business. If either one of those companies, uh, TriData was paid three quarters of a million. Uh, I believe Hilliard Heinz was paid just under 400,000, maybe half a million. Um, if they write a report saying, Virginia Tech is culpable. Virginia Tech was guilty of gross negligence. If Hilliard Heinz wrote a report that says Virginia Beach is guilty of negligence, gross negligence, do you think that they will ever get a contract anywhere? No, they're going out of business. No one will hire them. This is one of the greatest shell games being pulled on the public at your expense. Your taxpayer dollar is paying for this to be told that everything's hunky-dory. Everything was not hunky-dory at Virginia Tech or at Virginia Beach. If it were hunky-dory, all of those people would be alive and the people wounded would not be suffering to this day. So there was a problem, and we need to know what the problem was. Okay. Now, the problems on the commission that I'm on. One, the commission did not meet until two years after the shooting. People's memories are failing, and frankly, they're tired. They want to move on. People want to put it behind them. They don't want to be reminded of it. They don't want to relive that terrible day. So right from the get-go, why Governor Northam waited that long, I have absolutely no idea. The commission should have been up and running within three to five months of the shooting, period. Not two years later. The commission is too big. The commissions for Virginia Tech and for Columbine were 10 people and eight people respectively. The Virginia Beach Commission is 21 people. We can't get a forum to hold a meeting, to vote on anything. You need 11 people. We've had to cancel meeting after meeting after meeting. And when we do have meetings, we can't vote on anything. We can sit there and talk. And now what has Governor Yunkin done? He's increased the size of the commission. Lordy. 
Do any of you people in the government's mansion, whether you're Republican or Democrat, have a brain? Haven't you learned from what preceded in these tragedies? Apparently not. The commission has not constructed an accurate timeline. Any of you, this is my business. Any of you that are involved or have any familiarity with crime analysis know it is absolutely essential to have a timeline. We've just gotten the video, police video cams released. They were released in June and it's confirming exactly what I feared that the first responders arrived and because of poor security could not get access into the building where the gunman was killing people in the parts of the building. So the rampage continued for 15 minutes while the police waited outside. They could not get in. We didn't know that for sure. I didn't know it for sure until we got the police video cams. I've mentioned the, the city computers. They're missing. They've all been, by the way, there may have been a federal law broken in that. I'm not sure. But we need to construct the evidence. We, we do not have all the personnel records about the killer. Sorry, we got all new computers. And the hard drives have all been erased on the old ones and we've junked them. So, gee, Commission, we'd love to help you out, but we just can't. The, the, the Commission does not have subpoena power. I know for a fact that at least one city employee will not testify before us because that employee is afraid of retaliation. That employee will not testify before us without the protection, the legal protection of a subpoena. And there are others who will not talk to us because they are afraid of losing their job. Subpoena power would give us the power to have them come in and would protect those people. And we do not have it. So that is a major flaw. We did not and have not interviewed key individuals. This is an investigation. How can you carry on an investigation without interviewing people who worked with the killer, who managed the killer? We need, we need to ask these people questions. And we can't. No one will talk to us. We haven't interviewed, we haven't, frankly, we haven't even tried. When I submitted a list of, of names of people that I thought the commission was, uh, should interview every, the chairman said, oh, that's very nice. Yes, we'll set this over here. That was three or four months ago. We're not doing anything. I went out on my own and interviewed some people and I was yelled and screamed at by some of the members of the commission for conducting my own investigation. And my answer was, well, somebody has to because we're not doing it. 
Um, chances of the Virginia Beach Commission being successful, slim to none for the reasons that I just stated. I identified, and I think the commission agrees, when we first started, we've reviewed all the, the reports that had been done prior by organizations, including Hilliard Heinz. And it was very clear that there were three areas that we need to center our investigation on and then sub areas of that. First was Virginia Beach security. I have never ever heard of an office building where on each floor you have different security locks, procedures, entry procedures, and you don't have a central place to go to get a master key to get in. And that was the problem of the first response. This is amazing. Virginia Beach adopted a security plan in 2001. I've read that plan. It was poor by 2001 standards and they never updated. In that time, you had the Appalachian of school shooting, you had Virginia Tech. They never even looked at the lessons learned from those mass shootings to see how, what can we do to improve security in Virginia's largest city? Never occurred to them. They did nothing. They had a security plan, a piece of paper, just so they can say, yeah, we have a security plan. Here it is. Doesn't say anything. There's no real practical things to do, but we've got a security plan. Yeah, we complied with the law. Um, HR training. That is extremely important. You want H professional HR people are trained in how to deal with troubled employees. And that's who I went to in my I know exactly who to go to. To save money, Virginia Beach decided they would have HR liaison officers. You may be in public works and you're an engineer or you're in, you, or your field is electrical wiring, or you, you do inspections, but in your spare time, you will be an HR person. Now, we're not going to give you any training, but you're an engineer. You've got a college degree, right? Okay. I'm sorry, Lynn. <laughs> I, I forgot I had an engineer. That's Lynn. Look, I, I have a, a, a had a brother who's an engineer. I have I have a, a, a son who's an engineer. So I love engineers. <laughs> but engineers, just like the rest of us, if you're going to be an HR liaison officer, you need to have the training. They didn't train them. HR was a huge flaw. The killer was the in most cases where the people say, we didn't realize that he was violent. And you start going through the history. These killers, the only thing they don't do is put up a flashing neon sign saying, I'm going to kill a bunch of people when I feel like it. Don't worry. I'm going to kill people. They do everything but that. And all of these schools and cities and say, well, why? we didn't know. We didn't know that. Um, and training. Training employees. How do you handle a crisis? How do you handle active, uh, active shooter training? Are children in schools? And isn't that a 
Isn't that a shame? Our children in elementary school have to have active shooter training. Sadly, it's necessary. Everybody needs it. Now, what else would I like to see done? I would like to see the legislature, and the commission recommend this, that the legislature define accountability and foreseeability. Take the definition of those words out of the hands of the courts, specifically the Virginia Supreme Court. Define negligence and gross negligence. Again, take the definition of those words out of the hands of our legal system. There are certain things that are tantamount to gross negligence. It should be a fairly simple law to write. I proposed this at the commission, and boy, did I get attacked by the lawyers, which was my way of thinking I'm probably right. <laughs> because they, they, they really came after me, which told me I had touched a sensitive chord, and I was probably right. Okay? And then make, as part of this, laws that, that tighten rules and regulations on security in any government or private business and the need to have regular security uh, training, uh, security plans that are revised and updated at a given interval, say maybe every three years, something like that, active shooter training, things of that nature. These are things that we can begin to do. And I haven't even touched on mental health and I haven't touched on the need to get these automatic weapons out of the hands of people. I will only say that if you need an AK-47 to hunt, I would suggest you take up fishing. That is a weapon that was designed for war and designed to kill. Okay, I am not opposed to guns. My brother collected guns. I inherited his 1862 Civil War musket, muzzle-loading musket, which was my prized possession. I just gave it to my youngest son, who was absolutely thrilled. I understand why, when you look at some of these guns, they're, 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 it's, it's, they're beautiful. I mean, they're, they're really pieces, I, I understand. Why people like, I understand why people like to go to firing ranges. I've been to firing ranges. I understand all of this. And I do not want to take a gun away from anyone who feels they, they, they need a pistol for protection or, or something along that. But it has to be a real reason, not just I need it for, for protection. But there's so much that can be done. That, that is not being done. Now, uh, Art asked me, and I know I'm, I'm running kind of long here, but uh, I'm sorry, I, I really am. But let me just quickly say, he asked, what, what can churches and, and communities of faith do? Well, you can speak out at every single opportunity. But if you do, 
you will pay a price. Art asked me that. And I told him the story of the New York Avenue Presbyterian Church, where we were members at the time of the Poor People's March. That's a very historic church. It's Lincoln's church. And the pastor at the time, George Dougherty, opened the church to allow the poor people to come in and sleep in sleeping bags on the floor. We collected food to feed them. They had restrooms to sanitary conditions. He lost a huge percent of the congregation. They were furious. And you know who he lost? He lost the people with money. He was left with people like me right out of college with three young children who struggles to meet ends meet at the end, at the end of pay. They lost the money for the church. You pay a price if you take a stand. So just keep that in mind. Uh, support any politician. I don't care what party who's supporting sensible gun laws. Don't be fooled by Virginia laws. Remember the reports that are done by private firms are paid. I'm not saying that they're, they're of no value, but please keep in mind they're being paid to do it and they owe their fiduciary responsibilities to the people paying them, okay? And write letters to the editor. Your local newspapers, the letters to the editor, that's some, that, in some instances, that's all people read. I have friends that said the Rappahannock Record. They don't read anything else in the Rappahannock Record but the letters to the editor. There are people that do. People read that. And politicians read it because they want to get a sense of, of uh, what the public mood is. Now, uh, then I have a slide, what can you do? I donate and write, okay? Um, I would just tell you, in, in my case, uh, if, you're, if you are interested, uh, my money goes to the, the Haven, a shelter for battered women, and I have the address on that, and I have, have it there if anybody wants to contribute to that in honor of the memory of Angela Dales, or the Michael Poli Jr. Scholarship Fund at Hunterton High School in memory of Michael, who was gunned down at the German class at, um, at Virginia Tech. I would also suggest one other thing, and that is the commission did something that I thought was great. The Virginia Tech families have a foundation that they got passed through the legislature that ensures that the medical bills of all of those who were physically and psychologically damaged in that mass shooting, their health care will be paid in perpetuity. The commission, and I give the commission credit for this, voted unanimously to send a letter to the governor and to the state legislature to adopt a similar fund, not only for the victims of Virginia Beach, but to put it in place for any and all future mass shootings. It died. The head of the House Appropriations Committee in the Virginia House of Delegates, a man by the name of Barry Knight, would not bring it to the floor for a vote. 
So even when the commission gets it right, gets it right, the legislature pulls the rug out from under us. I was going to do one other thing, but but I, you've been very patient, and I've been rambling on and on and on. So what I'd like to do is open it up for questions. And if if any of you are interested, as I said, I do have the books after, and all proceeds go to charities. Okay. Any questions? I have a, a microphone that will work if you want to ask David your question. We just have a few minutes, and it sounds like you're willing to linger afterwards. As sure. Well. Question, comment. I've left everybody speechless. <laughs> I do that. <laughs> Either speechless or asleep, one or the other. David, I have a question. You had made a mention that uh, uh, authorities are not held accountable. And yet, for the first time, I see just yesterday that uh, the Uvalde School District police was held accountable and fired. Terminated. He was fired, yeah. And that means that he will probably not have a real profession or job the rest of his life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you think that sends a message to the, well, the community at large, I mean, the world? I, I think it's a real step in the right direction. But frankly, I wouldn't mind seeing a lawsuit against him. I, I I hate to sound vindictive, but yes, he needed to go. Absolutely, he needed to go. And that is a step in the right direction. If you will not carry out your responsibilities, you need to go. Okay. Anybody else? Just out of curiosity, have you had any contact with the Virginia Center with the Virginia Interfaith Center for Public Policy concerning policies that need to be presented to uh, the Virginia General Assembly? I have. I, I personally have not. I do know that that Joe Samaha has, and I know that Andy Goddard, whose son was wounded, have. Uh, and I know some of the things that they have recommended. I have, have, but I have not specifically had any contact with them. Excellent organization. My daughter is a school principal. Which of your books would be most helpful? Well, I would, I would think, uh, I, I frankly, I'm biased toward the first one and because it was my family. And my wife says that is my, the best book I have written out of all nine books. Both the Virginia Tech book and, and the Appalachian School of Law contain lessons that are applicable to teaching and to, to people in the teaching profession at any level. But I think, I think perhaps the first one might be the best. Yes. Um, my answer to that is uh, no. Oh, yes. The, the question is, do you think school teachers should be armed? I'm more in favor of having a police officer assigned to every school, a police officer who is trained to use a weapon. 
that's if if you then that may be what we have to have. Uh, I am very skeptical about arming arming teachers, and I jokingly said, in some school districts, they're not even allowing teachers to pick out the books that students can read. How do you expect them to carry? Why and how do you expect them to carry arms uh, to fight against a uh, an active shooter? It doesn't make sense. Uh, it, uh, carrying guns and defending yourself should not be part of a teacher's responsibilities. I think there are other ways to protect the school. And one of them, as I said, I think is greater use of the police. It's sad, but if you, I know that what they, many times they call them resource officers and they're actually police, armed police that are, are in the building uh, <clears throat> during school hours. And unfortunately it is necessary. And that's the way I would go with it. I'd also might have roving patrols. You have patrols out to supplement that so that a killer, these killers plan ahead. They're very, they're very thoughtful, meticulous, they plan. Well, if they don't know what time the roving patrol is gonna come around, that's gonna throw a monkey wrench into their, into their plans. So I would say, you know, the police all have officers in patrol cars, make that one of their assignments. In addition, they will periodically just slow down and go through the school parking lots. You don't need to get out, maybe even stop and park for a little bit. You know, uh, but no, I, I um, you know, I, I it, it's sad to say, um, that we need the police in there. It's sad to say. Thank you, David. A couple of Beatitudes come to mind for me. One, blessed are those who mourn. Seems relevant in this context. And two, blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, and so, David, we're grateful for the ways in which you are um, serving as a peacemaker in this world. And, you know, the prophet Isaiah envisions a time when when people will beat their swords into plowshares, they will take weapons of war and make them into tools for agricultural production. Uh, and I dream for that day too. It's a shame that we have, you know, weapons of war circulating uh, fr freely in this world. And so I'm grateful for your work for peacemaking and may we be peacemakers as well. A quick word of gratitude to the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship of Virginia, who's been very kind and generous in supporting our speaker series uh, and Lynn Underwood and our speaker series committee for putting this together. Uh, we do have a, a gift for you, David. If we come back up here just very briefly, Lynn Underwood made this very beautiful clipboard for you uh, of a whole host of different woods, and there's an explanation of it on here, but would well, like to present that to you. you so yes, much. of course. Yeah. yeah. Lynn, I never suspected. <laughs> a very talented man. Well, thank you. So uh, just wanted to mention briefly that our next event is going to be on September 10th with Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis. Uh, and I wonder if you'll just maybe join me in thanking David one more time for leading us and presenting today. Yeah, please feel free to stay and linger. Um, David has copies of books available and handouts. Otherwise, God bless you. Thanks so much for coming and thanks so much for watching online.